Welcome to Able Ed, the podcast about navigating college and young adulthood with intellectual or developmental disabilities. I'm your host, Joseph Lacombe, and I'm a graduate of the University of Tennessee in the Future Program. Future is a post-secondary education program for students with intellectual or developmental disabilities, or IDD. Post-secondary education programs for intellectuals uh, with IDD are somewhat of a new concept. In 2008, the Higher Education and Opportunity Act increased access for students with disabilities to go to college by providing financial aid opportunities for defining the criteria of of a student who is eligible for post-secondary and creating guidelines for post-secondary education programs like the future program at the University of Tennessee. Post-secondary education programs or PSCs are multifaceted in benefits for uh, students with IDD. First and foremost they facilitate the students longing to continue their education beyond high school Students that have the passion for learning and expanding their minds to new ideas now have more opportunities to do so. In addition, they have the resources provided to them that will help them succeed, like assistive technology, mentoring programs, and tools from campus disability services. Secondly, PSEs prepare the individuals to achieve personal career goals. At Future Program, the biggest goal post-graduation is job placement. Each student in the Future Program participates in a different internship each semester. The internships aim to challenge each student to adapt to new work environments and learn new skills while also help the students discover what kind of jobs they would like. For instance, when I was a student, my favorite internship that I had was at the Clarence Brown Theater as a prop hand which helped me a lot uh, to better my career. PSEs combat the stigma that individuals with IDD cannot join the workforce with others in truth. Multiple studies have found uh, individuals with IDD for the most part largely improve the workplace with improved productivity, morale, and motivation that is infectious to other workers. 
and post-secondary education programs are working. The Bureau of Labor Statistics reported that in 2017, the unemployment for individuals with IDD was 9.2%, which was uh, two times the percentage of individuals without disability at future our job placement success rate is around 80%. PSEs are helping these individuals not only to find jobs, but to find competitive jobs in the workplace. And last of all, PSEs help young adults with IDD grow and mature as individuals in college. There is as much learning outside of class as there is in lecture halls and auditoriums. College students have to learn how to uh, maintain a healthy diet, balance work, and social life, making friends, date, and make decisions for themselves. Individuals with IDD both deserve and need to learn these skills as they grow up into independent adults. Additionally, as they learn how to succeed in, in a college environment, universities and institutions understand how to be inclusive learning environment and adapt to those needs. To understand why I'm narrating this podcast, it is important to know my story. I was born June 2nd, 1988 in Brockton, Massachusetts in Brockton Hospital. At the age of six months, I began to get really sick. I would space out, gain high temperatures, and uh, my body would begin to tremble. I was diagnosed with epilepsy, or what some may know as a seizure disorder. I was diagnosed with grand mal seizures. Due to my epilepsy disorder, I had to learn how to be careful throughout my life and I had to keep myself hydrated. I had to make sure I wasn't overexhausted or overheated. And I had to protect myself from flashing lights. However, that didn't stop me from being the best that I could. I'm happy to say that as of February 2nd, 2019, I will be 16 years seizure free. Over the years, I've been able to do so much from sled dog racing to being a part of the independent wrestling scene to accomplishing my goals as a model slash actor which led me to make my first television appearance on a show called Homicide Hunter uh, season 6 episode 15 which can be found on Hulu not a sponsor I'm also a two-time published author, 
And last but not least, I'm an alumni of the University of Tennessee. One day after uh, Valentine's Day in 2011, I had an entire day of errands to run. And I came home and thought I would do something nice for my roommate and myself. And um, I thought I'd come home and cook dinner and fried chicken for the first time, which instead led to my kitchen catching fire. I realized then that I needed to find something to further myself and to further what I want to do to further my future. I went on multiple school tours over the summer after visiting the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, University of Tennessee in Chattanooga, Vanderbilt, and Belmont. I then received acceptance letters within the same day from all four schools and the one that stood out the most was UTK because it was not only the closest but the most convenient. My experience at the University of Tennessee was the way that everybody's college experience should be. There were ups, there were downs, but thankfully there were more ups than there were downs. But even during the hard parts, I wasn't alone. I had my classmates, I had my professors, and I had some of the best uh, staff that the future program had to offer. Uh, people like Dr. David Chiek, Dean Bob Ryder, Kate Smith, Tanya Wimberly, AKA Mama Tanya, Emma Bergen, Rachel Wright, Don McMahon, Naranji, I've worn a lot of hats here at the university from 2012 to 2014 as a student, an employee, and a mentor. So why do I think the podcast is important? Because I was once a student, and I feel that I can reach out to each and every one of you. I know about the good times, I know about the bad times, I know about the easy times and the times where it gets harder. I want everyone going through the programs like the future to succeed and feel that there's space for us to come together and talk about every aspect of our lives it makes our experience a lot better so today we have our first guest for the podcast uh dr david chiek thanks for sitting with us dr chiek thank you for having me um first give us a little uh background into your studies and uh your work with special education? I was first introduced in the field um, during my college days. Um, I was working at an adult care facility for um, 
adults with intellectual and developmental and, and physical disabilities. And, um, you know, it was kind of a part-time job, you know. Um, I was a business major, and, um, you know, it was kind of a way to kind of get through school. Um, as I learned more, you know, about business, I learned that this wasn't a major for me. And so I went to other majors. I majored in mathematics for a while. I majored in aviation for a while. Then I thought I found my home in theater. I was a theater major for a while. And um, then it was time to graduate. Um, I needed to move on. I was, um, I needed to find a job. And really started to think about what, what did I want to do? And um, I come from a family of teachers. And my grandmother taught in a little one-room schoolhouse in the um, middle of nowhere, Illinois. Um, and my sisters teach, my cousins all teach, everyone's in the field. And I was the special one of the group, as I'd like to say, because they were all general educators. And, um, and I thought that maybe this was something I, I, I might want to pursue. When I was working at the adult facility, and, you know, this is early 80s, um, you know, it had a real profound effect on me and um, thinking that there should be better ways in how we um, just take care of people. Um, and I have to admit, it was a little depressing, you know, because when you work in an adult care facility, um, well, folks are a little older. And Absolutely. Folks pass away. And, um, and at the ripe age of, you know, 20, 21, I thought, well, maybe I could be better served working with a younger population. And so as I was finishing up my college um, studies, I then worked in a group home for um, adolescents, children and adolescents, uh, mainly um, adolescents, uh, middle school, high school age kids um, in a group home. They were basically um, all wards of the state, came from really unhappy situations and uh, were removed. All of them had um, an intellectual disability or developmental disability, had a physical disability, and um, really had some great challenges. Um, but also, they, were, they taught me more than anything. And um, they, they, they really taught me and, um, a lot about myself and, and you know, a career that, to this day, I say that I've never really have worked a day in my life, and I've been very fortunate to find. Um, I recognize a lot of people don't have those, um, you know, I guess advantages that I might have had to go to college. Um, while, yes, I did pay my way and, and had to work all through, um, you know, I, I did have some of those advantages to work and meet with some amazing people. And... Um, a lot of the fellow co-workers there and my supervisor was there was always saying Dave you're pretty good at this and have you thought about you know doing more of this and it's kind of like the light bulb went off there that maybe I should um, you know it's been there but it was never at the forefront and so um, finished up finally <laughs> finished college after five and a half years um, with a you know, teaching degree, um, psychology degree, and 
and about 200 credits. Um, so, um, you know, but it, it was a journey that, you know, I think it was worthwhile to find out that when I got into teaching, it, it was what I wanted to do. And so um, I first started teaching and um, actually locked down psychiatric hospitals uh, for kids, um, adolescents primarily, um, who did, um, you know, very significant, you know, crimes. And um, it was an amazing staff, amazing group of folks that were working there, and the kids were just also amazing. And um, and it, it really taught me a lot about what you can do um, and what kids can become when, when you invest a little bit in them. After working there for, teaching there for about a year, um, and then I've moved into a regular public school um, and actually we were still somewhat center-based at the time and so at this point we were just transitioning um, especially students with autism and intellectual disability um, the group that might have had demonstrating some real severe behaviors maybe aggressive behaviors um, or self-injurious behaviors I was very fortunate to be at the right place at the right time and um, helped created one of the first neighborhood schools uh, for these students. So no longer did they have to take a bus ride an hour and a half to go to school. They got to go to their neighborhood school right down the street. And um, it, it was, again, an amazing experience. It, it allowed me to develop a program. It allowed me to work with amazing experts and mentors to help shape a program that um, was successful for the kids, most importantly. Um, and um, we were able to kind of scale that so it wasn't just that one school. And I want to preface this, that this was all happening now in early 90s when we still kind of thought of autism as, you know, one in many, as um, a, a rare disorder, uh, spectrum disorder. Um, versus now, when we think of it as one in 58. Um, throughout my career, um, that is one thing that I've seen um, most profoundly that, that has shifted is um, the prevalence increasing so much that it has. So that was a little bit of my background. I, I got to really help start, you know, uh, some programs and, and ingrain. It wasn't just me. It was this great team of folks that I was so fortunate to work with who allowed me to develop and allowed me to take risks and allowed me to um, implement strategies and, and practices that um, worked, that were evidence-based. That's... An absolutely amazing story. You're, you're also the creator of the Future Program as well, correct? I am one of the people, yes. <laughs> um, what inspired you to be a part of the creation of the Future Program? After my first year teaching the class I just talked about, um, and so while I say it was kids with autism, I mean, they were just kids. and uh, But they were kids that had some, you know, what you would say some real significant challenges or, or required... Uh, you know, a lot of supports, especially socially, emotionally, and behaviorally. 
at the end of the first year, I thought I did an awesome job. You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, we, we did okay. I mean, not only did kids learn, parents were patting me on the back. Teachers that um, were a little apprehensive at first about who, who's coming to our local school, the community that was concerned about who's coming to our local school. You know, they welcomed us at the end of the year with wide open arms. You know, it was, you know, at first kind of that cliche movie where, you know, who are these people? And at the end, it's this beautiful, happy ending. Um, you know, kids are reading, kids are learning, kids are all engaged and, and being included more, all the great things. And then I paused and just said, what are they going to do next year? Well, next year is the easy answer. It's me. You know, they're going to have me as a teacher again. I was a middle school teacher. They had me for sixth, seventh, and eighth. And as you know, in special education, um, or, or, or kids, um, students that uh, receive special educational services, um, you know, they can participate in public school, you know, through 22. And so usually middle school is usually a four-year, so maybe sometimes a five-year endeavor, mm-hmm. um, because in high school they have them all the way <laughs> you know, to 22. And so um, it's more of kind of a resources. I mean, I, I've had kids where that immediately transitioned to high school after eighth grade. Some, you know, maybe we stayed a year, you know, just kind of looking at a whole host of factors. But it wasn't uncommon for um a student to spend four years in the middle grades, you know, just because they were going to high school and at age what, 50, you know, they would have been there for a longer period of time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, so I, I was happy in this whole rah-rah, but then it was like, what's going to happen to these kids besides me? What are they going to do when they go to high school? And I wasn't concerned that much about high school because we had, you know, some awesome teachers there and who knew kids and, and, and know what to do. So I really wasn't that worried about high school. It was life after high school that I was worried about. And um, so then I was given an opportunity at that point to um, um, participate in a PhD program at Georgia State University. Got to work with um, fabulous um, um, gentleman by the name of Paulo Alberto. Um, he's one that is often credited about bringing community-based um, instruction to the southeast, community-based vocational training to the southeast. So a, a lot of students with disabilities that completed any kind of vocational training, you can kind of hang your hat to Paul Alberto out there at Georgia State University. And, and I was so lucky to work with him and, um, and worked on a grant with him um, that looked at basically increasing the number of students who are educated in the least restrictive environment or inclusion, um, we were asked to ensure that over 90% of kids with disabilities were taught 80% or more in the general, edu- general education classroom. Uh, most states are hovering around about you know, 80%, about 80% of their students, about 50% of the time. Um, with our efforts, we were able to pretty much ensure 90-80. Um, it took a while, but we were able to ensure that. So after I graduated with my um, doctorate, I needed a job. I came here, the uh, University of Tennessee, Knoxville, um, for several years. Um, you know, I 
like all new a new worker at any new job you had your head down you know you're doing your job you're teaching your classes you're doing your research um you're trying to find funding to do more research and also another part of my job which was probably the best part of my job was i got to supervise our future teachers and our our teacher candidates out in the field and um, reminded me how much I miss being a teacher. It reminded me how much I miss interacting uh, with students and um, uh, K twelve students, <laughs> and, um, and, and 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 how much I enjoyed that. And so these two kind of things came together for me, um, quite frankly. One, you know, a lot of my research dealt with um, working with adolescents. Um, teaching job skills, using technology to enhance, you know, um, to ensure that one is able to fully participate in society. Um, that's pretty much in a nutshell what my research is. <laughs> but focused on a little bit, it deals a lot with vocational skills and job training and using technology. And um, one thing we were missing was um, life after high school. What do we do? Um, I didn't share in the opening, but I did work for a vocational rehabilitation program for a while, too. Okay. And so I, I worked in voc ed and voc rehab and um, as a voc rehab person during college. But, you know, as voc rehab at the time, you, know, you had 90 hours to assess the individual, to job sample, get them placed, provide the training, and exit. 90 hours. Um and, you know, that wasn't enough. I mean, I think about myself. I've already named off three jobs and about eight majors I had. Um, you know, I, I challenge anybody <laughs> that had just one job in their life and had it for the rest of their life. Um, so, you know, it takes a while for some folks. It takes a while for a lot of folks to figure out, you know, um, you know, where's that niche? You know, how do my strengths really... Um, develop into you know a career a vocation and um so these couple of things kind of came together you know my research is there on job skills thinking about my first year of teaching what happens to these kids after high school i knew a little bit of folk rehab and they are some great folks but i thought that model needed to change a little bit or we needed some other models let me just say that i think voc rehab does some amazing things and they do um, but we need multiple pathways for life after high school. Just like we have community colleges, we got four-year institutions, we got private colleges, we got public universities, multiple pathways uh, for folks after high school to continue learning. Those things came together where I wanted to be back kind of kind of that classroom teacher again and that middle school teacher so part of me was a little selfish that I wanted to interact <laughs> with, with, with um, you know um, people that, I, that have been so inspiring to me um, to develop you know the future program um, to provide an opportunity um, for folks and everyone to continue their education um, so that's what inspired me was, you know, the people that I've had the privilege of, of, of trying to teach, that, you know, for the 25 years. That's definitely something, even seeing from first hand as the 
second set of future students where this has all come from, from uh, being the second set of graduates and being an, an alumni coming off my fifth year as an alumni. It's just amazing. And I said it in the earlier going of the um, of this episode that I've worn multiple hats from being a student to working on campus to being a TA to being a mentor. And it is absolutely just a really great feeling. Um, the future program has done so much for me and I feel like uh, I feel like had I not gone through the future program, I wouldn't have done a lot of stuff that I've done today. I feel like I would have stuck with a lot of uh, minimum wage jobs myself, and uh, I feel like I've accomplished a lot more since then. Um, I do got to ask, what what were some of the biggest initial hurdles in starting the program? It was guess who's coming to college? Guess who's coming to the University of Tennessee, <laughs> Nashville? <laughs> um, you know, so I, I, on one hand, you know, I mean, at a micro level, you know, developing, you know, my middle school program, um, that was all program development. So this turned into program development, too, just on an obviously larger scale. Um yeah, but I, I, the, the belief was simple. If you can navigate and participate and actively participate with all these great things that happen on campus, I always felt like you could participate and actively participate in your community better. You know, we have buses here. We have, you know, cafeterias. There are classes. Um, so a lot of the initial hurdles, um, you know, when we first started off, uh, we were part of conferences. And so that was part of continuing ed. And um, and so one of the first hurdles we found out was that they actually students had to be registered for four credit hours in order to be accessed for football tickets because. Um, well, University of Tennessee, Southeast, you know, there's football. And guess what? The first question I was asked, <laughs> um, yeah, they wanted to know about their courses. <laughs> they wanted to know about when the, you know, how do I get tickets to the football yeah. game? <laughs> and, um, and just like any other first year student. And, um, you wouldn't be asking those questions today. Oh, oh cough. Man, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll let you <laughs> comment. <laughs> no, but um, and actually, though, I, I will say um, sports has been very great uh, to the future program. Right. And, and I know you get a little bit, but the Lady Vols, shout out. Oh, yeah. Um, swimming, shout out. Um, you know, uh, they have welcomed and taken many of students from the future program and, and created job internship, you know, programs mm -hmm. for them. And... Um, and provided that experience that, I mean, quite frankly, few college students ever have, anybody ever has. One of my former classmates in Chad was mm -hmm. an assistant coach intern for the Lady Vols with uh, with Pat Summit. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's he got to he got to keep a piece of the net from the championship game. Yeah, that's that's something right there. Not too many no. people can say that. And uh, the 
the most recent class of this year just recently took a tour of the Neyland Stadium, which is an absolutely beautiful stadium, beautiful. Uh, they got to see the locker room. They got to have pictures taken in front of a bunch of the jerseys, and they all just had a really great time. Mm-hmm. And 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 they and that is one experience, you know, because not only do they show the stadium, but they show the practice fields. You know, they give the. I mean, it's the the orange carpet tour, um, in terms of here's the arena, here's you know here's where the locker rooms are, and you know again it's a nice, you know again it was about creating a a, a true college experience for everybody, um, but some of those initial hurdles. Um, um, yes, you know, okay, we got to get four hours. So that meant we had to start moving out of, of, of kind of continuing ed and, and get students officially admitted um, through the University of Tennessee um, and get them connected with the same, well, we use class banner now. I, I think I was trying to think what we had initially when we started. Do you remember the, was it banner? I know I don't know. Anyhow, but, but you know, we, we had to get you in the same student system as everybody else, um, and yeah, you know, we were able to do that easily with the four. I mean, I, I, I we got that light switch turned on real fast. Um, but in order to increase our presence and, and increase that full experience, we know we needed to move away from continuing education and, and, and run under the same um, kind of undergraduate, you know. Um, process for registering for courses um, just like everybody else you know one of my initial hurdles that um, I thought would have been a hurdle but I was it it ended up not being a hurdle (laughs) was um, securing um, course sites you know students that wanted to take um, US history students that wanted to take English 101 um, students that wanted to take what did you take theater what, what, what class was I talking I a, you out of? <laughs> I, t- I took a couple of things. I took uh, I a took f- a social dance class. I took uh, prop design. I there took a whole bunch of different things. See, as a failed theater major, I was I was definitely trying to direct you. <laughs> but you did much better than me. But I mean, so the, you know, the situation is I'm just reaching out to fellow instructors and professors across campus and saying, hi, my name is Dave Chiak. I have this little program, and um, we would like some students to come and take your class. And as a fellow professor and instructor, you know, <laughs> um, somebody cold calls me and go, hey, can I just show up in your class? <laughs> You're like, well, who are you? You know, why do you want to take this? What's going on? Um, you know, do I really want to grade an extra paper? <laughs> you know, I mean, um, it was amazing. The open arms that I got, you know, it was amazing. The professors across this campus were like, sure, absolutely. You know, and I'm like, I'm sure there might be some hiccups, but we'll be responsive, <laughs> you know. Man, they stepped up. They did so much better than I could ever imagine. And not only, you know, we saw the growth with the students, of course, but they were like, yeah, we want another student like yours. Um, We want another student from the future program. Uh, The diversity they add to the class is just invaluable. You know, what other students are learning from working 
cooperatively in, in this group setting. And I've know? seen I've seen that from both sides myself as uh, going as a student and seeing what these. Uh, professors have been able to help me learn and going as a mentor and sitting in the class with some of these students and seeing how they work with that environment and how the students work with the environment that they're surrounded with and it's absolutely amazing how uh, the students how seriously they take it when you could have that thought of you're not sure whether they could or couldn't take it seriously because when I was talking to the faculty instructor, as I said, I didn't want anything different. Don't be watering down anything. They're, you know, they held that same expectations. Um, and, you know, we will provide supports. You know, the future program mm -hmm. staff will provide supports. We, we will, you know, if somebody needed a you know, note-taker in class, we will provide that. If, um, you know, they needed extra tutorial services, we will provide that. Um, you know, a lot of times we engage with professors of going, if you send us your test, you know, we even talked about professors about how do we, you know, um, you know, other, other ways to assessing knowledge, um, you know, and, and can students in the future program demonstrate what you taught them in other ways, you know, maybe through a presentation, maybe building something, maybe, you know, finding another way to demonstrate that knowledge. And so, quite frankly, we were on the forefront of universal design for learning in this university that now is a buzzword. You can't go anywhere without hearing. Um, future, I'd like to think, um, you know, we're this kind of grassroots effort. But we saw so many faculty people doing that before, you know, the and greater it, encouragement from above. Yeah, and it encourage with the encouragement, it's a nice thing to see because it's like, you don't you don't necessarily know how people are going to handle uh, not knowing what the intellectual disability of somebody is or if somebody has intellectual disabilities. Um, I, I'm trying to go back to some of those hurdles. Um, yeah, I would say those are some of the big ones. Uh, you know, actually, the other big hurdle I, I will say out out here initially. A um, little bit on the program development, although I thought we had a good idea of what you know teaching classes, you know, we knew we wanted to teach technology, um, a technology course. We were, um, I, I was really shocked and actually it's become one of my research agendas. I was just talking about it a week ago, talking about making sure we're teaching digital literacy for all. Um, people may not know, but there's this great digital divide. Um, and there's a lot of people, especially people with intellectual development abilities that don't utilize technologies and aren't taught the digital literacy skills out there and to really truly participate in a digital world and so now you kind of hear these terms about digital inclusion <laughs> you know um that was one we like oh we had this great idea and then we really had to back some things down and, and basically teach emailing i mean it was amazing the kids not only did not know how to email but didn't even know what email was you know and and um and you know, so, but, you know, as the program grew and developed, um, especially in the early days, I'd say the other big one was finances. You know, when we developed this program, you know, it, it was paying the regular tuition as everybody else. You want to be a college student? Well, this is what it costs, <laughs> you know. Um, and obviously families, you know, never prepared for this. You know, they never, it wasn't an option. 
you know, it wasn't even on their radar, um, you know, to go to the University of Tennessee. And um, now we have, um, you know, state support. Um, you know, we have uh, the Step Up Scholarship, which is academic-based, similar to the HOPE Scholarship. Mm-hmm. Um, students can also access vocational rehabilitation dollars um, and can also access, um, oh, we just picked up another one uh, that the state, I'm so, Tennessee Promise uh, Scholarship funding, too. And actually, we're the only four-year university. Well, no, I'm sorry. The other post-secondary education programs within the state, so us and my friends that are out there, um, <laughs> University of Memphis, Go Tiger Life, uh, Vanderbilt, <laughs> Go Next Steps at Vanderbilt, in <laughs> um, Union, um, Lipscomb, ideal, way to go. Because um, what's great about all of us is um, we work together. You know, and, and when we started these things, we just, you know, went to our neighboring states that had these programs. We were like, please share. And they gave us everything. And we've done the same. Um, but that money, you know, parents just couldn't write that check for, you know, $5,300 a yeah. semester, you know. And um, so it took a, several years for these other state um, agencies to kind of come on board and, and, and realize the benefits of, of, of post-secondary ed programs. Um, so after we felt like we, we've jumped that hurdle, um, that really opened up the door. Because not only are they available, all the state funding, they're, uh, they're eligible for Pell Grants, you know, and FAFSA. Of course, then we all have to learn FAFSA. And oh, you know, if you ever want to prevent a kid from going to college, just have to <laughs> FAFSA. Um, <laughs> and so, um, but, it was available there. Actually, I thought it was one of the most incredible, given today and a government shutdown. <laughs> so when we came on board in 2010, this issue arose that we needed access to this. And um, the feds turned around within months, made this all happen. And tip of the hat. I mean, they did it. Absolutely. I know I'm grateful. <laughs> um, so now, nine years later, nine years, it's, it's crazy to think, nine years, almost ten. How have you seen the Future Program grow since 2011? I, I see as far more just a part of the fabric of the University of Tennessee. I mean, there's not a class that our students, you know, have not had the opportunity to take. Um, you know, when I, I forgot the last count, but I mean, you know, it, it rolled into a couple of pages when we had the list of courses available, um, you know, for students. Um, the number of, you know, internship sites, you know, has grown. And, and, and become wider. Um, the community knows us. Um, you know, what's really amazing is that, you know, there are other programs that are out there, job training programs. Um, for example, Project Search that works with the hospitals. Um, two folks that I often see on all their promotional materials are two of our graduates. <laughs> and... Um, 
and and family members have contacted them about well you know did you need to go to future or why didn't you just go to project search you know you could have just done that and the parents said future was a necessary step uh, step to be ready for project search you know project search is doing amazing things and and doing great opportunities um but in these particular cases you know the parents and even the <laughs> the young adults would say that you know future provided me a foundation um to really begin to spread my wings and become more independent you know it was the first time um that i was allowed to be by myself it was the first time that if i wanted to get a cup of coffee or grab lunch i can do that i didn't have to ask permission i didn't have to have somebody escort me to the cafeteria and or Starbucks. And that's one of the <laughs> things is we see uh, with a lot of the students just getting stronger and stronger. Uh, and they, like, I see a lot of students, like, if their mentor uh, doesn't show up, a lot of them will just take charge and, uh, with the rest of the students if they're in the same class and be like, okay, we got to go to this place. We got to go to this place. Now, come on, we got to go to class. And it's a strong growth for anybody. Um, I always had I always had an issue with the word mentor. You know, some of our um, meetings, I've always I've always tried to emphasize, you know, they're just volunteers. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, kind of going with UT volunteers, yeah. you know. Because <laughs> um, I was reminded, <laughs> um, or I remind people, that it, I remember in year no, maybe it was semester two of the program. Uh, one of our students had a class over at the Ag Campus, which means you jump on the bus and go to the Ag Campus. Uh, here comes, quote, the mentor <laughs> to help, you know, navigate to the Ag Campus and said, I don't know how to get there. The student goes, I already know how to get there. I'll show you. <laughs> and... In which then I said, then why are you waiting on this person? You could just go. <laughs> and um, But then the student was like, no, actually, I, I would like to know how to get to the ad campus. <laughs> Let's do it, you know. And, and, and so I'm often reminded about this whole idea of the term mentor. Or, you know, I'm, I'm reminded about situations where the volunteer would come to me and go, you know, I've had some you know, tough days, had some, you know, tough issues kind of going on, and I was talking to a student in the future program, and um, and they reminded me that he gets up at 5 a.m. every day and jumps on the bus to come here and be here by 8. Um, you know, it takes pretty much an hour and a half bus ride, that's a bus ride to get here. Um, and when he thinks about, you know, the opportunities that were afforded to him, and looking at somebody that was, you know, on a bus every day, hour and a half, to seek out these opportunities that three years ago were not even a possibility, kind of puts things in perspective. So I understand why we say mentor, you know, but I always prefer volunteer um, just because it's a reciprocal relationship. Absolutely. Um, you know, and... and you know, and if you're not learning, you know, then, you know, why are you here? Um, as a volunteer, as a college student at the university, college student, you know, at the University of Tennessee Future, you know. Um, 
how have you seen the post-secondary education programs as a whole change since the early stages? Um, there's more of them. I hate to say, there's just simply more of them. Um, you know, we were the second one in the state. Um, now there's five. ETSU, East Tennessee State is, is, is trying to get one up off the ground as well. A few other places are. Um, but it's still not nearly enough. You know, we need more. I mean, if you think about how many universities and colleges and community colleges we have in this state, you know, we're just a drop in the bucket compared to that. Because one thing I try to emphasize, you know, so how have I think changed? You know, I think there's this greater awareness. Um, you know, a lot of times I always had a site, you know, the Higher Ed Act, uh, Higher Education Act of 2008, that specifically named college students with intellectual and developmental disabilities accessing post-secondary education programs. Um, you know, and I, I've seen, you know, the higher-ups, the leaderships of the university. And I have to admit, we've always been very fortunate and had a tremendous um, uh, leadership here at the university that when I was talking about earlier, oh, we got to move them into the regular undergraduate process of everyone else, that happened. That was the first time that we got to legitimately say, UTK admitted, <laughs> you know, <laughs> students, all students, our leadership said, no, there's not a special ceremony. Graduation happens with everybody else, whether you want it or not. <laughs> it's, one of the, it's one of the greatest feelings that I remember is being able to sit with the, the, all those classmates that were graduate, not just with my, gra my classmates of uh, the future program, but the classmates of 2014 and walking that stage with every single one of them. And it wasn't just a separate thing. It wasn't like the future program got called up first. Now we're going to call up all these guys. It got called up in the order of which it was supposed to. Yeah. And that's how it should be. It is. I mean, there's no different. And so I really applaud. I mean, I think University of Tennessee, you know, the, the leadership here was very bold and, and very courageous and, and, and just very forward thinking. And, and quite frankly, you know, they knew. This is the right thing we got to do. As I often sometimes say to remind folks, the taxpayers were a public university last time I checked. No, these were folks that wanted and, and knew that this was the, the thing to do. And so I, it didn't take a whole lot of convincing. You know, it, it just didn't. I mean, I always came with my three-ring notebook, and I was ready to throw out, you know, the fact that 80% of working-age people with intellectual disabilities are unemployed in the state of Tennessee. You know, I was, you know, able to pull out the fact of, of, of life after high school is minimal and dim. You know, I, I had all that research stats, but it was really talking about these are people. They're Tennesseans, um, especially in this neck of the woods. They bleed orange. They've grown up watching their friends go to the University of Tennessee, and they want to go here too. Yeah. And deserve the right to access it. To me, it was always about access, about hey, you know, sometimes it's not right. You know, it might not be that fit. Maybe, you know, going into a, a different path, you know, whether it be vocational rehabilitation or one of the other vendors out there or a project search that I mentioned earlier, um, you know, looking at the different options. And, and that's what we were about. I mean, it was about access, that everyone deserves the right to go to college and have a college experience.
Um, they understood that. They did. And, you know, again, I always say tip of the hat, some real key leadership um, here at the university that, you know, made sure it happened. You know, because at the time, you got to remember, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, at the time, I'm still an assistant professor, you know, in terms of ranking. You know, I'm a, you know, assistant associate fulls and, you know, um, you know, it's just, it's kind of one of the new guys on the block. And, you know, it's like, well, who's this guy, you know? So um, I was real fortunate to have a strong dean that, that was really, you know, passionate and, and dedicated to continue to, you know, make sure that we were in front of the people that could make, you know, that could basically turn on the light switch and make this happen. Um, we see finances, it, it being more affordable, um, or at least having financial supports available, whether they're through the state or vocational rehabilitation or through the federal government. All those things are available, just like any other college student. You know, we're, we're part of the university. You know, I mean, I think we're in every little nook and cranny, you know, and, and that's where I wanted to be. <laughs> um, what do you think the biggest takeaway from uh, students who participate in these programs is? I would like to think biggest takeaway is just greater independence, greater um, self-determination, mm-hmm. being able to advocate for yourself, being able to... Just learning to become young adult, becoming an adult, maturity, um, growing up, you know, making mistakes, learning from mistakes, um, learning how, you know, you know, to make a decision, um, you know, how to make commitments, how to work well with others. You know, uh, one of the biggest challenges, actually, if want to go back to challenge, one of the hurdles, and this is still a hurdle we deal with, so we haven't gotten past this one. We'll see it every year. As students are becoming more independent, sometimes parents have um, have a harder time dealing with that independence um, than than we do, <laughs> and um, and and there's a new dynamic. And I remember my parents, you know, that we've talked to would say, "My role is changing," but you can tell them all day it's coming, and you know until it happens, you know, they don't know it's coming, um, but. Especially the parents that really have had to fight and advocate for their child all through that K-12 education. Um, you know, and, and now I'm from the point of view where I'm glad you have your opinions, but I'm here for this student in front of me. You know, it's always, you know, to use your name, Joe, what do you want to do? Joe, what do you think's best in for you? Well, I am interested <laughs> in what, you know, you know, your mom thinks, you know, and, and we need to bring that together, you know. Um, it's about you. You know, it's about the career decisions you're going to make, um, ultimately. You know, it, it's those decisions. Absolutely. Um, and it was the uh, ultimate decision that made me take that step into going to college. Because yeah. uh, another thing I had said earlier was that, that I had caught my that I had caught my kitchen on fire, and that was a big step to thinking, because I was definitely, I was definitely down, and I was in a bad spot right there. I was just at a point of, what comes next, and the idea had come from, my mom actually, uh, how would you feel about going, back to school, and I said if I do this, I'm going all the way. There's quit and there's no backing down and this is exactly what I did I went all the way and still 
after five years uh, part of this great university as an alumni, as a worker, as a TA, as just about everything that could be thrown into that hat with some of the greatest connections that I've had the pleasure of making over these past five years. So I think that's another big takeaway. It, it, it's the network you're building, you know. Um, okay, it's friendships you're making and those things, you know, but you're also building networks. Like you mentioned that professor, you know, that you can still keep in contact with. You, that that, that um, from the internship supervisor, you know, <laughs> that, that you can still keep in contact with, you know, and and well it might be true for a lot of folks but definitely with people that you know i've had the privilege of working with for a long time sometimes their circle's a little smaller um and um this is a great way to expand that circle and uh quite you know make those connections and and establish those relationships that um so post (laughs) you know college you still have those networks of supports um, you have those letter of recommendations. You know, no longer is it from you know a Dave Chiak who's you know a special ed professor. No, th- th- this is you know just uh, a, a professor of, of English. You know, this is a professor of of social dance. Did you take no? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's it, you know it broadens our, our network and our people to navigate. Um, one of the things that I, I hope is a huge takeaway is yeah, greater independence, greater um, you know confidence with yourself, just greater maturity, um, being able to advocate for yourself, like all of us, know, knowing your strengths and, and things you got to improve on. How would you like to see the post-secondary education program grow in the uh, in the future? Well, for future. In particular, um, I, I would love to get into um, housing. You know that that is one big area that that um, we've always have. That's um, been a goal for a long time. Um, actually, it was a goal. It was one of our initial goals uh, when we founded when we started this thing. Um, so nine years later, we still haven't checked it off the box, but um, it is one that um, we know um, makes a difference and. Um, other programs throughout the state, there is only one program in our state that has, you know, that kind of residential component. And when I talk to my colleagues around the nation that run similar post-secondary ed programs, although it's probably one of their greatest challenges, <laughs> just from a staffing point of view, <laughs> you know, just it's also the one thing that they all point to that made a huge difference in their graduates' life. You know, and, and quite frankly, that's the same for me. You know, when I was able to move out of the house and realize, you know, all the little things. You know, and I made those mistakes. I stayed up too late, you know, paid the price, you know, the next day trying to get up for class. You know, so, you, you know, those little, you know, things you, you learn along the way. I think our program here at Future provides that that space, um, safe space, you know, a space to... You know, make mistakes, fall down, pick yourself up, you know, and, and that's life. 
you know, and, and, and here at a university where we have so many incredible supports, uh, I'm not talking about future, I'm just talking about all the supports, you know. I mean, we have a health clinic, we have advisors, we have Smokey's Closet. I mean, there are so many other supports available for all college students in order for them to be successful, you know, especially if life throws them a curveball and, um, and um, need some, you know, just some help, need support, need you know, a hand up. Um, you know, and, you know, that, that is something that, um, you know, I, I think it's a real benefit for post-secondary ed is that, you know, we're allowing young adults to be young adults. I think that's, uh, <laughs> I think that's about it for my questions. Um, thank you very much for your time today, Dr. Chiak. Uh, I would like to throw a quote of the day out there actually and it's one of my personal favorites um by uh pt barnum the noblest of arts is making others happy that's gonna wrap it up for today well thank you joe i mean yeah thank you as post-secondary education programs like future continue to grow and become more efficient in function more and more individuals with IDD will have access to college. This in turn creates an inclusive society and knocks down barriers for sustainable careers. Through my experience, I know it is possible all it takes is commitment, perseverance, and a supportive team backing you through the process. I hope you enjoyed the first ever episode of Able Ed. The episodes will be released on monthly basis, so make sure to subscribe to receive alerts for when the next episode comes out. Special thanks to The Beacon, the University of Tennessee student-run newspaper and media group that helped us with the recording and editing of this episode. The podcast was written and edited by me, Joseph Lukom, and Meredith Abercrombie. Our theme song is titled Cheery Monday and was created by Kevin MacLeod and licensed under Creative Commons. Mm-hmm.